All right, welcome back to Healthspan. This is part three of The Cancer Code by Dr. Jason Fountain. In part one, I described the history of cancer and also the hallmarks of cancer. In part two, I described the somatic mutation theory. And in this episode, I'm really going to focus on the origins of life and the origins of cancer. So the origins of life and the origins of cancer. The earliest cells were created when self-replicating molecules called ribonucleic acids or RNA were really enveloped in a membrane called a phospholipid bilayer, which is still the basis for all modern human cell membranes. Now, this bilayer protected this RNA from the harsh environment, allowing it to self-replicate. Now, it really took another 1 billion to 1.5 billion years to evolve into this more complex eukaryotes that contain organizing features like a nucleus and organelles. These are our kinds of cells that are made up in the human body. Now, one of the organelles called the mitochondria, which of course you've heard of, generates energy uh, for this cell. And mitochondria are actually believed to have originated as a separate prokaryotic cell. And there's this whole endosymbiotic theory where our eukaryotes actually actually engulfed the mitochondria and creates an endosymbiotic relationship where this mitochondria is helping out the eukaryote and the eukaryote is also helping out the mitochondria. So the mitochondria, as you know, is providing energy for the cell, while the cell is protecting the mitochondria from the harsh environment. This is the endosymbiotic theory. Now, all living creatures for the first half of the history of life on Earth were actually single-cell organisms. And the next big evolutionary hurdle was really this multicellularity. So multicellular organisms evolved about 1.7 billion years ago, likely beginning as simple aggregates or colonies of single-celled eukaryotes. And over time, mutually beneficial collaborations between cells permitted specialization. So we know certain cells are very specialized. In fact, all our cells are specialized and have a specific function in our body. Now there's really five categories of these specialized cells, and they are epithelial tissue, connective tissue, blood, nervous tissue, and muscle. So our body is made up of trillions and trillions of cells, and they're all specialized, but they can really be put into those five different categories. Now, these cell-level differences between a single cell and multi-cell organisms manifest in several important ways. So let's compare the difference between a single-cell organism and a multi-cell organism. And I'm going to show you how they really differ in really four different ways. So the way they grow, their immortality, their movement, and their ability to use glycolysis. So we're going to compare and contrast the difference between a single-celled organism and a multi-cell organism. And I'm going to start with growth. So single-cell organisms grow and replicate at all cost. That is their entire purpose in life, and that is their default state, to grow and replicate at all cost. How about multicellular organisms? Multicellular organisms really impose this tight control over growth using genes that promote growth like oncogenes and genes that suppress growth like tumor suppressor genes. Now cells may grow only when they're told in the right place at the right time. So it is very controlled. And when I'm talking about multicellular organisms, I'm talking about our cells. So again, single cell organisms, they grow and replicate at all cost. Multicellular organisms are very tightly controlled with either oncogenes or tumor suppressor genes. How about immortality? 
Single-cell organisms are immortal because they can replicate infinitely. There is no limit to how many times a single-cell organism, like a yeast, can divide. How about multicellular organisms? Cell lines in a multicellular organism are not allowed to live forever. Each time they replicate, their telomeres, which are the end caps of our DNA, get a little shorter and shorter every single time. And when, when they're at really this critical length, the cell can no longer divide and they become senescent. So again, a senescent cell is one that just sits there. It stops replicating. It doesn't divide anymore. It's really just sitting there. So multicellular organisms cannot live forever. How about movement? So movement is really this natural state of a single cell organism. They have no particular obligation to stay in any specific place. How about a multicellular organism? Multicellular organisms must ensure that their cells remain anchored to their proper uh, location and don't move around. And finally, glycolysis. So I'm, I'm doing a lot of this comparing and contrasting, but remember, I have a point at the very end of this. So while most single-cell organisms use the primitive glycolysis mechanism of generating energy, eukaryotic cells use oxidative phosphorylation. So to summarize really quickly, single-cell organisms differ from multicellular organisms by the following four characteristics. They grow, they're immortal, they move around, and they use glycolysis. Now, if you listen to my first podcast, you know that these four things sound very, very familiar. This is precisely the same list of attributes that make up the four hallmarks of cancer. Cancer cells grow, are immortal, they move around, and they use glycolysis, and they use the Warburg effect. So again, I'm making this comparison, and I have a point at the very end of how unicellular organisms are just like cancer, and cancer is just like a unicellular organism. So as cancer progresses, cells become more primitive in appearance, with progressive loss of higher uh, specialization and function. So there's a term in oncology that we, we call anaplasia, Anna coming from the Greek word meaning backward and, and places coming from formation. So formation backwards. Now, let me use the example of a blood cancer called AML or acute myelogenous leukemia. You remember I talked about CML last podcast. Now I'm going to use AML as an example of how anaplasia occurs. So normal bone marrow produces immature white and red blood cells, and they're called blasts. So BLA. STS, blast. And when mature, they are released into the bloodstream. And these blasts normally constitute about less than 5% of the bone marrow and are not really found in the bloodstream. Now, this cancer that I'm talking about, acute myelogenous leukemia, it's defined by the presence of more than 20% of these immature blast cells in the bone marrow. So we're seeing this anaplastic immature cells in the bone marrow in this type of cancer. And that's what's occurring in the cancer. Now, let me talk about autonomy really quick. So autonomy is really this idea that you're able to do what you want. Now, single cell organisms are really their own boss with complete autonomy. Cancer cells are really the same and they they don't really follow the rules. So breast cancer cells, for example, will not respect the border of the breast, but will actually metastasize to other organs. And breast cancer cells do not really respond to orders from the brain or hormones or any of the other normal controlling methods the body uses. Breast cancer cells grow for their own good, not for the good of the organism. So 
Cancer cells, single cell organisms have their own autonomy. They do not follow the rules. Now, single cell organisms take no responsibility for the environment around them. A yeast will do whatever it can to kill its bacterial neighbors. Cancer cells, like unicellular organisms, are locally destructive, and a cancer will grow at the expense of its neighbor, destroying any tissue around it. How about invasion into novel environments? So, single cell organisms often invade and exploit new environments in their unending search for more food. So, think of yeast and you know, the mold on yeast. Mold growing on a slice of bread will continue spreading until it covers the entire slice. Cancer, like single cell organisms, invades everywhere and can colonize new environments in the process of metastasis. How about competition for resources? So, cancer. Similarly, competes for resources directly with no thought for the ultimate good of anybody else. So, cancer cell will use all the glucose it can, even if it must deprive normal cells. And this is why there's extreme wasting in cancer patients. So, if you know someone who has died of cancer or know someone who has cancer, you know that they get very, very skinny. This is the process called cachexia. So, the cancer is really using up all the glucose that you're feeding. Yourself, it's using up all the glucose and depriving other cells of having any of that glucose. And these cancer patients just waste away, and it's the process called cachexia. So, again, I'm comparing these unicellular organisms to cancer. Now, I made many comparisons between cancer and unicellular organisms, and again, this is for really good reason. And Jason Fung puts here that the origins of cancer. Really lie in the origins of life itself. Cancer is improbably a single celled organism. I spent the last 10 minutes showing you how unicellular organisms and cancer are very alike, and this is because the origins of cancer lie in the origins of life itself. Cancer is a single cell organism. Now, because all multicellular life evolved from unicellular organisms, All multicellular life contains the same basic pathway needed for cancer. Let me say that again. Because all multicellular life evolved from unicellular organisms, the multicellular life contains the same pathways needed for cancer. But here's a question how did that, But how did that cell, originally part of the multicellular community, change its behavior to that of a single cell organism? And only one force in the biology, biological universe has that power, and that, of course, is evolution. So, tumor evolution, which is the next chapter. So, changes in population through selection, whether artificial or natural, have really two prerequisites. So, evolution has really two prerequisites. The first is genetic diversity, and secondary, second is. Selective pressure. So significant genetic variation exists even within a single tumor mass. Remember, I was talking about the somatic mutation theory last episode, and I was saying how even within the same tumor, in the same cells, they have different genetic、uh, mutations. Well, this is what's happening here in、uh, genetic diversity. So we're seeing this huge genetic diversity within cancer cells themselves. Now, I'm moving ahead and talking about the selective pressure. So, cancer is a unicellular organism 
But in order to transform itself from a normal cell into a into uh, you know the society with rules for cooperation to a unicellular existence, it has to undergo hundreds or thousands of genetic mutations. It has really this pressure to change. Um, but here's this question: If cancers are constantly independently independently mutating, then how did they end up so similar, sharing all the same hallmarks? How do all these different cancers have the same hallmarks if they are constantly and independently mutating? And again, there's two possibilities here. I'm really going to focus on one, and that's the idea of atavism. So A-T-A-V-I-S-M, atavism. Now, Jason Fung says that um, atavism comes from the Latin word atavis, meaning ancestor. And this atavistic theory proposed that cancer is a, rever- is a reversion to an evolutionary, evolutionarily earlier format, which is, again, the unicellular cell. Cancer already exists buried deep in every cell of every multicellular animal. So this, is, this basic blueprint is already assembled, needing only to be uncovered. So cancer, he is essentially saying, is lying within us right now, it really just has to be uncovered. Now, this plausibly explains how every cancer in history develops independently, but still looks the same. So again, cancer is this unicellular ancestor of a normal cell. And during the evolution to multicellularity, new, new control systems were added to the original program to ensure cooperation and uh, cooperation and coordination. So again, cancer, is, it exists in our DNA, it exists in our blueprint. Now we have control mechanisms that we developed over these billion of years, billions of years to control the cancer. But remember that this unicellular programming was not erased. It's still within us. So it still exists, albeit suppressed. And new programs were really simply built on top of the older ones. And if the new suppressive programming fails, then the old programming can really shine through. So let me take uh, an example of atavism. So atavism, again, is sort of like this going back to our, our earlier roots. And atavisms are like pet tigers. You can train a tiger to tolerate human in, humans and eat from their bowl. But if it, if it becomes angry and forgets its training, the tiger reverts to it being a wild animal. So this is an example of atavism. So to conclude... Cancer already exists in all multicellular organisms. It really just needs to be revealed. And now that we know what cancer is, we can ask a new question, which is, what causes cancer? So that's going to lead me into next week's podcast, where I describe what cancer is. And I'm also going to be describing Cancer Paradigm 3.0, which is this, uh, in this whole idea of transformation progression and metastasis. So cancer paradigm 1.0 is cancer as excessive growth. Cancer paradigm 2.0 is cancer as its genetic disease. And uh, and cancer paradigm 3.0 is its progression of transformation, progression, and metastasis. So I'm going to end the podcast here. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you remembered that cancer cells act exactly like unicellular organisms, and I provided a lot of examples. So I hope you learned something, and uh, tune in next week to part four of The Cancer Code by Dr. Jason Fung. Thank you for listening.